0: Alright, good evening everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Perfect, excuse me. <coughs> Alright, well we had an interesting night last night, didn't we? It was, uh, it was short, I know, it was a little bit intense and it introduced us to a few perhaps new ideas or a new way of looking at our nature, A new way of looking at what we're doing to let God work in our lives. So, we're laying off this great weight. But tonight we, we want to progress this thought and we're going to consider a story which you won't believe. It's a, an excellent parable which you won't believe. And we're also going to start this progression of thought around what it means to let God work in our lives. Because what we've done last night is worked out that we can let go of this great weight that's so easily to set. Just before we get too much further, consider what happens when you, when someone else sees you do this. Because we had good conversation afterwards and people are saying, well, how do I convince someone else to help them let go as well? See, judgment comes into this really, really uh, clearly. Because so much of us don't want to let go of what we go through for fear of judgment from someone else. But you paint the picture of what we had last night. We worked out the moment that you expose that thing that you're hanging on to, right, and you lay it at Christ's feet and you go and confess that to someone else, in that moment you are naked and shamed and need a covering. When they do it, they are the same. So who is now judging who? It doesn't matter whether the two same problems or two same sins. Equally, these things can push that person off their spiritual journey, can't they? So who then can lay judgment to who? You're standing there with one or two people, ten, a hundred, a thousand. If I reveal the things that I suffer in my life to you and then you do it to me, who's any better than anyone else? That's the idea. No one is any better. Everyone is in the same state. All need a covering. All have fallen short of the grace and glory of God, haven't they? All have sinned in God's sight. We all need a covering. That's why Paul says there's neither Jew, Greek, bond, free, male or female. We're all one. We learned that in Sunday school. Ten years ago you learned it, And it's in lessons like this now. This stuff starts to become really, really powerful for us. So who is now judging Who? This is why, practically, it's important for us to confess these things. And this is one aspect of our spiritual lives which will help us to let go as soon as we understand we are all the same. It doesn't elevate any of us. In fact, James chapter 4, if you quickly turn to James chapter 4, you'll see something in there. James gives us really good, practical advice. James is a cracking letter. It really is. In James chapter 4, we won't spend too much time here, but he puts a couple of really easy steps for us to understand how this process works. James chapter 4, he says in verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace, which is what we need. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We need grace from God, but he resists the proud. Hanging on to your great ways will make you proud. Because you think you can deal with it. You don't want to show anyone else because of your pride, do you? He says, if you've got pride in your life around this stuff, you're not prepared to let it go, how can I give you grace? You've got your arms full of red. We learned that last night. So he says he resists the proud. Verse 7, he gives you a little recipe on what to do. Submit yourselves. Number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Step two is in verse 8, draw nigh to God. And in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what will he do? He'll lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now I want you to think about where you ended up last night. We worked out that great big weight that we've got in our lives. We worked out we couldn't carry it. We worked out where to place it because Christ said, give me your burden. We'll swap because mine's easy, yours is difficult, you're fatigued. So I'll take that, thanks very much. So we worked out where to put it. Then we worked out in confessing that very same thing to all of our fellow young people that we are actually in need of a covering. We're naked and shamed. So we got that in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we stand. Right? We stand there with Christ on, free hands, delivered by the hand of grace and ready to help someone else. You're ready to help someone else. And that's what we read tonight, and it wasn't in Romans chapter 6. You turn to Romans chapter 6 and have a look at that lengthy reading with you. Romans 6, verse 18, really succinct. It describes exactly where you find yourself in this moment. It says, Being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. You're free from that sin, even for a moment. right? Even for a moment because you've let go of it and laid it down and now you're a servant with empty arms, ready to go to work. And now you've got a choice. Now we get to choose what we do. We get to choose how much we let go. And there's a story right here. We're going to pause our conversation. We're going to read a story for about 15 minutes. I'm going to read a story. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter uh, 18. Matthew chapter 18. (coughs) You know this story really, really well. You're in this story, do you know that? You are in this story already. Have a look at this. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants? And verse 24, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought before him which owed him 10,000 talents. So there's the picture of a king that begins to reconcile the accounts with his servants. Who owes him what? And he goes through and lo and behold, he finds this one man that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, to give you some idea, one talent was approximately a year's wage. That's ten thousand years' wages—it's a lot of money. You do the maths. Average wage now of I don't know 60,000 Times that by ten thousand—the boy's in trouble. Let's be honest. But just think about it—he had to borrow that money, and the king kept giving it to him, right? And now he's in all sorts of debt, and the king has called it up, and now he wants. An answer, doesn't he? Lo well, and behold, a man which owed him 10,000 talents. In verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, the NIV actually renders it better, it says since he was not able to pay. Since then he's not able to pay this amount, 10,000. Are you a picture, Jesus was telling this story to everyone. Now 10,000 at that time was the highest number in Greek arithmetic. Right, so they understood it was an extreme. And this is what Jesus used all the time. He uses extremes and he goes all the way to the end of the numbers that they would understand and know. So the lay people like you and me are sitting there and we hear this number a man owes a king ten thousand talents. These you immediately got your attention. And he can't pay them, verse 25. Because he couldn't pay it, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. His problem is now costing other people their livelihood and their life. The problems that he's got in his life are not just impacting him. Think about that. The decisions that he's making this problem started out pretty small. He didn't walk into the king and ask if I can borrow 10,000 years wages. He'd never be able to pay it back. It got bigger and bigger. It started smaller and smaller. This problem has grown and now affects people around him. And now it affects his wife. And now it affects his children. And they have to be sold off. Probably not together. And sell the little ones off and away somewhere else. And then the wife over here and the husband put to labor over here. He broke his family apart in an instant because of the decisions he'd made. And he hadn't dealt with it when he was small. And then, look what he does. Verse 26, the servant therefore falls down and worships him. He worships him saying, Lord, have patience with me. or be long-suffering as the word means. He says, and I will pay thee all. He lied straight through his mouth. I'll pay you the lot. Do the maths. 10,000 years wages. You want to earn a lot of money. He's never going to be able to do it. But in this moment of pressure, he just says, oh, I'll fix the lot. We can do the same thing when we hang on to it. So now I've got it. I'm going to work this out myself. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can you have a look at the word there. It's worth noting. Verse 3, think, verse 26 says, and he you fell down to worship him. Yeah. That word is made up of two different words in the Greek, pros and kouan, Right? Pros meaning forward, and kuon meaning hound or a dog. And Strong's Renaissance says that it, it's typ- typ- uh, typical of a dog licking or kissing its master's hand. So it gives you a great picture as to what this guy did. Boom, he hit the deck. He's sitting there in front of the king. He's got nowhere to go. He's not only that. He's mouthing off and sprouting promises he'll never be able to fulfill. Ever. He's saying anything. And he's kissing and licking his master's hand. Anything to get out of the situation that he's in. Sorry, sorry situation he's in. And then in verse 27, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. Right? Compassion is an awesome subject. You could study compassion for 10 years and not get to the bottom of it. Compassion is everything that, that, that binds this book together. Right? It's absolutely everything. The more you learn and understand compassion in your young life and as you grow up, you will understand God's love for you and how he could sacrifice Jesus Christ. You will understand Right? And this man, this king, looks at this servant and has compassion on him. right? It doesn't have sympathy for him. Do you know what sympathy is? right? To sympathise with someone. Oh, you were playing footy today, and you busted your arm. Oh, it must hurt. I'm really sorry about that. I've never busted my arm, but I understand why it might have hurt. Then, I can have empathy with someone. Oh, you played footy today and you busted your arm. Well, you know what? Actually, I did the same thing, so I know how it feels. Then, you've got empathy together. More than sympathy but with compassion. Compassion is seeing that person suffering with that honor, knowing what it feels like because you've been through it yourself and having a burning desire to relieve you from that suffering. That's why we are saved in our faith in Jesus Christ because he was a man like you and me, born into this world of the same flesh, and underwent the same temptations. He knows what it's like. He doesn't just sympathize with the problems that you've got, that really big one. He had one himself. It was the whole world that he had to carry around. He doesn't just sympathize with you. He doesn't just empathize in your suffering. He's got a burning desire to relieve every single one of you of it. That's what this king had. If you haven't worked it out yet, you're this servant with an unpayable debt a joint problem in your life, laying it down there, and he is in the middle of having compassion on you. Isn't it amazing? And look what he does. He bows, yearn, as the word compassion means. And at the end of the verse, and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. The word loose means to be free fully. To be free fully. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom you are set free. He says, it's for your freedom you're set free. Not to enslave yourself back again to other things. That, that's who he was talking to. Don't go and shame yourself back up to the same problems. Now you're free. Guess this, this poor man in front of him. You. you imagine how he left that palace. He would have left it 10 feet off the ground. 10 feet off the ground, the greatest problem he'd ever had in his life, he would have known about it for years and years and years as it just got bigger and worse for him. And all that impact on his family, now he walks out of there being fully free, completely forgiven from the giant debt that he had, and he walks out. Isn't that amazing? You and me have the same thing for us. We have the same thing. We take it, we let it go, We give it to Jesus and we walk away through God's grace and the mediating and atoning work of Jesus Christ in that moment free of sin and ready to be servants of righteousness. That's an amazing little story. So we've got a choice which way we want to go and which way we don't. We can either now choose in having let go, to let God direct us or we can go back to wanting control and picking up what does the guy in this story do? Because that's an awesome little story, isn't it? If it's stopped there. but the back end of this one, we really, really need to read. Because look what he does next in verse 28. But the same servant went and found one of his fellow servants. Right? The word found there in verse 28 means to search him out. So he goes back. Now clearly this man has um, an element of rank over this other poor servant he's about to come and see because he has the power later on to throw him in prison. So there's an element of of rank over the top of him, whether it's position in a house maybe or on a farm somewhere, right? Perhaps he's a supervisor over different workers. He's a man of some authority and he's just been released at his death to the king and now he goes back into his own workplace, (coughs) perhaps into his own household. The problem was he walks in there and he's got some attitude. He's not got the attitude you'd think, but he just free, fully of tens of millions of dollars worth of debt. He goes home and in verse 28 he goes and searches someone out. He goes and searches amongst his fellow servants. The word fellow servant is slave or co-slave. In other words, it doesn't matter. In this story, we've got to understand there's one king and everyone else. Doesn't matter whether he's got a little bit of rank over it. A slave and a co-slave. A servant and a co-servant. Even if one is the supervisor, guess what? You don't own the house. You don't run the house. You're not the king. There's one king in this story. All the way through. We already know that, don't we? One king. And he doesn't think like this. So he goes and he says he searches out one of his fellow servants, which owed him. A hundred pence, one hundred pence, <laughs> you know, that's about the equivalent of one six hundred thousandth of what he owed the king. One six hundred thousandth of ten thousand pounds. Let's call it five bucks. He owed him a five bucks. and he's walking home from the palace. And he's not thinking about the great freedom that he now enjoys because of the grace and mercy of the king, the compassion of the king that looked upon him was moved with compassion and freedom of his debt. He's not thinking about that. He's on the way home thinking, that guy, there's that guy. I was humiliated back there. I was humiliated, there's that guy. He walks home, you can imagine. I like to, I can imagine, I've got a bit of imagination. I can imagine. He walking into the service quarters, boom, kicking the door open. And looking around and looking all through him, all the servants stop. The supervisor's here, he's looking, he's looking. He's searching him out and he says, you, down here? I found you. And he walks over to him and grabs hold of him. You look at what this verse says. The man owes him five dollars and it says, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. The uh, words lay hands means to seize. So he seizes him, and when it says he took him by the throat, it means to wheeze or throttle. So he goes over there, pushes everyone else out of the way, grabs him by the shirt front, shoves him against the wall, and starts squeezing his throat. The Bible, Jesus is very graphic here. He's got him by the throat. He's squeezing the life out of him. He starts to wheeze. He can't breathe. And look what he whispers in his ear. He says, pay me that which thou owest." You pay me that which thou owest. Do you want to know something about this guy? Do you want to know the character of this guy? That word owest means to heap up for a crew. This guy is charging his fellow servant, his co-slave, interest on five bucks. That's the sort of guy he is. And what would you do if God charged you interest on everything you've ever done wrong? Can't pay the initial debt, let alone handle the interest. Isn't that incredible? It's charging an interest on this loan of five dollars, and he says, "You're going to pay me." And in verse 30, uh, in verse 29, and his fellow servant, that word continues to be mentioned, so that we realise they're equals. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He made a promise he could keep, because it was five bucks. (coughs) He actually spoke the truth. He said, Be patient. He said the same thing as the first servant. said to the king, he said, Be long-suffering with me. Be long-suffering with me, because I, I can pay it back, and I will pay thee all, he says, in verse 29. And in verse 29, interestingly, when it says he fell down at his feet, You don't need to turn it up. I'll go over to James. Do you know what James says? We've been to James a bit. I like James a lot. Do you know what James says? In writing to this ecclesia, he told them of a problem they had. In James chapter 2, he said, don't have respect of persons in verse 1. He says, because into your meeting, you have a listen to this, into your meetings, there come men with a gold ring, in good apparel and there come also poor people in vile apparel he says so what you're doing is respecting people and he says and you have respect to him that wears the great clothing and says sit down here in a good place and yet you say the poor man stand now here it says and all be here in my footstool <laughs> the word fell at his feet is the same word in the new testament as footstool this man who is of equal rank in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the king, has grabbed hold of his own fellow servant, demanded that he came and thrown him on the ground and elevated himself. This man is now his footstool. That was what James was talking about. That's his footstool under there under his feet. It's his own brother. It's his own brother. And, and his fellow servant, now his footstool says, and besought him. Now, this is an interesting word. Do you know why? That word, besought, means to call near. See, the margin says it also means, um, similar to verse 26, but it doesn't. This word means to call near or invite. Now, look at the reaction difference. This man stands over the top of him now. He's on the ground. He can't do anything in front of all of his other brothers and sisters in front of all of his other fellow servants he's got nowhere to go and what does he do he reaches out and entreats and calls near and invites the one person that can forgive him of the death look at the two differences this man in front of the king got down on his knees kissing afraid crouching there right it means to crouch to licking his hand Like like a dog licks his master's hand, begging for forgiveness, sprouting promises he couldn't take. And yet this man says, give me time. Be patient with me. I can pay him for this debt. And reaches out to the only one that can give him forgiveness. And right there, this individual, already seemingly miles away from the previous experience he had with the king of being forgiven for his debt, he now also has a choice. What will he do? Stands over the top of the man. And what did he do? And he would not. And when he cast him into prison, he grabbed that man, marched him out by the scruff of the neck in front of his brother's and threw him in prison. And he says, So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, they were distressed. Right? this distressed all of the group. They could see this the way that this man was treating them. Do you know what? We can do exactly the same thing because we've already established that we too get the same level of forgiveness as this man got at the beginning of the story, don't we, from our king who's moved with compassion for us and forgives us so now when someone else turns around and says, this is my problem that I have, this giant weight that is going to so easily beset me, we cannot look and judge that person because we've just laid hours of Christ feet and been forgiven for it. And now we want to turn around and we want to pass judgment on someone else's problem. We're just like him. And what did he do? He threw him in prison. This is what judgment and elevating ourselves over other people does to us. You know what? We can keep them in prison. If someone does right, wrong, we've, we've been given forgiveness by God, and yet when someone asks us for forgiveness perhaps on some things that they do against us, what if we say no? Well, you know what? You grab them by the throat. You have them by the throat. You know that. That's what the story tells you. There's no other way to look at it you can carry that person around by the throat for weeks for months even do you know you get down in your bedroom on your hands and knees and you pray to your God and you lay that person down next to you and squeeze their throat and ask for forgiveness in the same mouth because you won't forgive them but we expect God to forgive us and then he got it. after you finish squeezing him throw him in jail. do you know what that is I'm really sorry I offended you, that's okay, but I'll, I'll get over it soon, but I'm not ready to forgive. Bang, you're in a That's what you do. You take a person and you put them in the slammer. You say, you're going to stay there for a little while. I will forgive, but I'm not quite ready. What if God did that to us? With our big problem that so easily dissents us and we lay it at his feet. What would happen then? Oh, in the world. But we can do that to other people, can't we? Ask yourself tonight, I ask myself, how many people in my life, how many people in your life have you got, either by the throat, by this man, thinking that we're better and elevating ourselves over, or perhaps it's not that violent and we're just quietly keeping them in, in the prison for a little while. We'll let them out later. I've heard brothers and sisters say, I will never forgive them this side of the kingdom. You work that out. It doesn't even work. I'll never forgive them this side of the kingdom. That person now has a a full-time prison for that individual or family that they don't like. You can all think of people that perhaps have annoyed us or upset us. We might even know of risks that have happened in ecclesias, right, or amongst families, and we know that it's difficult between them. We might even have heard those similar words, I'll never forgive them because they hurt me so much. do. And yet he throws them in prison. Now they've hurt, and they're very distressed, his fellow servants, and they go, and they tell the king. And then the king calls him in verse 32, and he says, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because you wanted me to, because you chose me, because you couldn't do it anymore. And I forgave you. He said, should you not have also had Compassion on thy fellow servant even as I have had pity on thee? Shouldn't you have been driven to relieve that person of their suffering? This is the beautiful thing in confessing because you know how difficult it is. Right? You know how difficult it is to do so that when someone comes along with their giant problem or even offends you in some way, right, you have had all the experience in the world because you know what it's like to be shamed. You know what it's like to grab Christ. Do you know what it's like to put him on to rely and to build a need on him? This is what that person needs to see in you at that moment. Compassion. And do you know what he says to him? In verse 33, uh, 32 he says, Oh, thou wicked servant. Do you know what that word means? The word means hurtful. Do you know Jesus couldn't think of any other word best describe that man than a hurtful human. And it hurts, doesn't it, when we're not forgiven by other people. It truly does. This man had a choice because he laid his problems at the king's feet and was forgiven, just like we've learned, to let him go. Then he had arms free, ready to go. He had experienced the full weight of grace from the king. And he was up and ready to go. And we made a poor choice. He picked his problems back up. He picked his own problems back up because now he stands in front of the king and he's in more trouble than he's ever been. And what did the king do? And his lord was enraged with him as the word means of broth. There, verse 34, and delivered him to the torturer. Torment as occurs once in scripture, it means a torture. And that's it. So the story ends. Isn't that an amazing story? We have the same choice in front of us. We looked at James 5 when it talked about confessing our faults one to another, didn't we? Well, there's another part of that verse. It says, the effectual, uh, sorry, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We now have a decision to make, don't we? we now have a decision to make as to whether we are going to begin to let God now work in our life because we've experienced this forgiveness. We've experienced the covering that was provided by him in his son. Now it comes the tricky bit. How do I actually let him run my life? Well, I can tell you, I can't give you every answer to that scenario because we all see him differently. But I can only tell you what I've experienced. You know, a great way that I've learned to let God have an element of control and, and, and me trying to hand him the whole lot, trying to have control over my life, is for me to include him. Right? I've got to start including him. This is what I would encourage you to do, young people. We have to start building a relationship with God of inclusion. It starts with conversation. Right? It starts with talking to our God all the time because it's one thing to lay our problems down at Christ's feet and to have them taken off us but then when we walk out this door after this week, what do we do (coughs) when all the the, the fun and excitement and everything else of 300 odd people here for a whole week around the word of God starts to wear off just a little bit and we stand here and think, right, well now how do I do this How, how do I let God Start working in my life. How do I even engage it? How do I see it? Well, I tell you how you do it. You start with conversation. You say that very thing to him. You say, Well, how does this even work? Now you've got something. You might think, Well, I haven't got any. I just ask him how it works. But you asked. But you're talking. Right? If, you, if we want a relationship with someone, what we want to do is be able to talk to them and get a response back, It'd be great, and even build on that, become friends even build on that and fall in love and you know, imagine that that would be amazing you, you, we can do the whole thing with God through here this is why it's so important we ask a question he gives us a response that's how he leads our life that's why we read the Bible that's why we say you've got to read it as much as you can that's why when we come to weeks like this we want to study as much as we can open up as much as we can because it's just more and more levels of communication that he's giving you in order to lead your life Letting go of ours and letting him run ours, he will do it through here. You think of some questions that you might might ask yourself. I'm so stressed about my exams next week. I don't know what to do. What what was God's response? If you get on your knees and say, I'm so stressed about my exams. I can't believe it. Tomorrow I've got to do this huge exam. I really want you to be with me. Amen. Go to sleep. Wake up the next morning. What's changed? Nothing. You haven't got an email or, or a text saying, yes, I'm with you. Here's the firm response. No, it's in here. He already told you what was going to happen there. So you asked him and he said, worry not for the things tomorrow because they'll take care of themselves. So there's already a response there, isn't it? That's the way he communicates with you. He communicates with what he's already said. No one would ever have a problem as big as I've got. You might think yourself. Well, he's covered that one because he said all have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. It does matter about your size, your problem. Everyone's fallen short. Just let me know. Oh, okay. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough to be in your kingdom. ah. Uh-huh. Let me remind you. For I so loved the world that I gave my only son, for him that believes on him will get eternal life. I did that. So yes, you will be good enough. And you can keep going because I loved you before you even were. I'd also prepared to sacrifice everything in my life in order to get you. I have called you. No one comes to this point tonight. Did you know this? No one comes to this point tonight where we sit and have a conversation about God and his, the work of His Son without God calling them through Jesus. Do you know that? This plan, this whatever unfolding here tonight in your life has been in motion for a very long time. God's got fingerprints all over you. He's working. You've got to look and listen and communicate and include Him in your conversation. It doesn't matter what level it is. You You, you include Him in your conversation. And when you start getting hit with some harder decisions to make, should I go out tonight? Or is it working, of run? Should I go here? Should I go and do this? Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. It's rubbish. You do know what to do. Right? We're going to learn to listen to ourselves as well. We do know what to do. If you got on your knees and ask God then, he said, well, I've given you a response already. Remember, I called you to light. You are a child of the light, not of the darkness. You make your decisions. Sometimes we, it's, we, we choose not to hear the communication. Sometimes we choose not to see how God is working in our life. Because that's how he does it, through his word. He says, you already know the answer to this one. We need to push our relationship with God. If you get to a point where you feel like he's never around and you say, I don't know what I'm doing, I feel like you're not in my life. I feel like you're never around. You'll get a response in here yet again. He said, I'll never leave you if you're He said that. Letting go and let him go. We need to learn to listen and read and include God in our lives. That is the beginning of us letting God work in, in, in and on our lives through the communication he gives us through the Scripture. I can tell you something. This week, after this week, if you leave here and you see in your life a need for Jesus Christ, if you're here and unbaptized and you see a need for Jesus Christ in your life, the waters of baptism are calling you. I'm telling you. Because there's nothing more positive than that. This whole thing relies on that one thing, the thing that we've learned about over two nights, the need. I have a need because I need to be clothed. I have a need because I have a weight that is too heavy to carry. I have a need because you can carry it for me and yours is light and it's easy. Your yoke is easy and I want it because I can't do this anymore. If you bring yourself to a point and understand that you cannot do this of yourself, then the waters are ready for you. Make no mistake about it. Go home and think about. It. Go home and challenge yourself. Whether you're ready to lay that down. Whether you're ready to take up armfuls of Christ and put him on. Right? Saved by grace. Ready to go and help others. Not elevate yourself above your brothers and sisters and your friends and fellow young people. We are co-servants with one king, aren't we? Ready not to go and pass judgment but to help others understand that we let go of our lives and watch and listen and hear God's response as He starts to lead out. We can do that together. Because you know what happens at the end of the story? In verse 35, Jesus says, So likewise, my Heavenly Father will do to you when He spoke to these two servants. If ye from your hearts forgive not everyone. um, his brother, their sidesteps. The word trespass is a sidestep. He says, God is going to do the same to you if you can't forgive someone else. You know, I love that word there in, in verse 35 when he says, If ye from your hearts forgive not. In Proverbs 21, you don't need to turn up. You know what he says? every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord ponders the heart. Do you know what that word means there in the Old Testament? It means ways or balances the heart. And do you know what? The day is coming. The day is coming right now. It is so close, young people, you wouldn't believe the day is coming and he's going to do the very that very thing to us. When all of our week, a week just like this will suddenly stop. Our lives come to a stop. Enough for that, nothing matters. And he's here. And he's going to come and he's going to look in the face of every single one of us. And right in that moment, he'll say, don't do a thing. I need to borrow something. And he'll reach in you and pull it out. And he'll have it in his hands. He's going to take it and he's going to weigh it in scales. That's what the proverb says. He's going to take your heart, every, the seat of every single emotional decision you've ever made. Everything that's ever driven you, the heart, right? He's going to take it right out of you and he's going to lay it there and he's going to weigh it in bounces. He's going to weigh it in those scales. Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, well, would you look at that. There's just a little less of you and there's a little more.